Welcome to Orion Valley. I'm Josh Wall. I'm Rihanna Hudson. Frankly, I love movies. And frankly, I love books. Welcome to our podcast where we dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium so much. We're currently running our series Off the Shelf, where we discuss film adaptations of novels and see how they compare to each other. This week we are talking about our graphic novel selection for the series Ghost World by Daniel Klaus and Rihanna. This was your pick, uh, one of your picks uh, for the series, and obviously this means uh, a great deal to you. So I think we should just dive right in. I want to know... Um, why you picked this, what this means to you, where you first, uh, how you first came across it. Let's just get it all out about Ghost World. So throw us right in. Sure. Um, I love this book (laughs) very much. Um, (laughs) When I first came across it, I'm trying to remember. It was when I first really, I've always loved comics. I've always loved like the Far Side comics. When I was a kid, I read the Sunday Funnies religiously. Um, Yeah, I've always just really, I would draw uh, comics as a kid just I've always enjoyed the medium but um, I as a younger teenager never really gravitated towards like the Marvel DC and I gravitated more towards uh, graphic novels and you know Ghost World is just like a staple in terms of mm-hmm. becoming familiar and introduced into the world of graphic novels of uh, good ones at least uh, and yeah, so it's, it's just it's just one that you should, like, every fan has to read uh, if you're mm-hmm. a fan of the genre. And so it was one of the first that I read uh, where I was like, wow, comics can really be touching and funny and, and weird in a way that I really resonate with, um, especially as a younger teenager and still as a young adult, I do. I read it, you know, at a time in my life where I was only a little bit younger than the main girls, which makes it very easy to relate to. And I still relate to them and we can get into the characters later, obviously. Uh, and it, I just realized I'm not talking about the plot uh, as an introduction. So yeah, the plot really, you know, it was uh, released and I think serialized would be the word to describe it in a Daniel Klaus. <laughs> I pre-recording uh, I was telling Josh that I have said Daniel Close for years <laughs> to myself and to others when I talk about how much I love him and his work so mm-hmm. um I'm a poser confirmed <laughs> um but he had uh, a collection called his eight ball comics where for the first 18 issues which started in the 80s he would publish you know an eight ball comic annually and it would contain like i think like three or four um chapters for lack of a better word um because issues isn't quite the right word of uh select comics that he was working on uh i believe again the first 18 issues the two comics that i have read that were in eight ball were uh like a velvet glove in cast iron I sometimes screw up that name, which is just phenomenal, an amazing graphic novel. And uh, then Ghost World, which is extremely different, but, you know, very similar. Daniel Close, <laughs> Klaus, uh, <laughs> has a very distinct voice and style. 
and themes that generally sweep across a lot of his work, but just never get stale um, and are always pretty inventive when it comes to the narrative and to the characters. And yeah, I think he's a genius. Mm-hmm. And I've read this book many, many times. Um, each time I read it, I kind of get something new out of it, which I think is just the joy of reading and movies and music in general. Right. Uh, and yeah, but I, you know, Josh, you said that I uh, should you know, take the reins in talking about it. But I'm very curious your thoughts on it as a first time mm-hmm. reader. Yeah, I mean, you know, we could have done a whole separate series just on, you know, graphic novels alone. I'm glad that, um, you know, we may do that in the future. But I'm glad we picked mm-hmm. one to focus on here. And, you know, uh, for all you Marvel stands and you know <laughs> superhero fans out there, I'm sorry. But you know what? We're focusing on other shit. Yeah. Um, also, Daniel I, Klaus like hates you guys. So sorry yeah. about that, too. <laughs> he hates the Marvel um, comics, at least in the 90s he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I don't have as big of a relationship to graphic novels as other people do. I mean, I've definitely read... Um, you know, I've read a, a, a you know a, a small handful of them, and I do very much enjoy them. The medium is extremely fun and engaging, and can tell stories in a very inventive way. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'll be the million and a half person to say that Watchmen is obviously like one of my favorite things that I've read. It's so much, it's so interesting. Um, but going into this, I, I didn't really know what to expect other than your glowing um, review of it, and so I was just excited to see. Um, you know, the, I flipped through it before like diving into it and the, the, uh, the actual like panels were like a really interesting, um, color and the expressions on people's faces. I was like, oh, this is going to be really fun. It looks like it's just a bunch of people hanging out. And that's really what it is. This book is 80 pages long and about like, you know, eight or nine really well told vignetted, almost short stories of these two girls like kind of navigating their way through life in this one summer and I really kind of fell head over heels for it like immediately and I I because I I love the um I love coming of age stories I love most re- like even recently in terms of media that I've been taking in I've been getting really into the hangout genre which is a style of art that I hadn't really been uh, exposed to as much uh, and I think that it's fun to just kind of really uh close I don't even see. I'm not even saying it correctly. <laughs> Just say um, it wrong for sake of Danny peace. C. Yeah. <laughs> Danny C. Um, he really just kind of wants you to be like, just hang out with these people. Just be with these people for a while and see how they interact with each other. And uh, it's fun to kind of just be privy to this world of that these characters like know all their lives, but you're just kind of being dropped right into just to look around and kind of take everything in and let your senses kind of be... Uh, exposed to new to new feelings like the way that the fact that most of the art is in like this kind of green blue and gray kind of color uh, it really makes you focus entirely on what's going on in the characters faces and what's on around or like around them and what they're saying and it was just so interesting to have them go from scenario to scenario and see how they deal with um, you know each thing that comes their way and and like i said in terms of coming of age it is very much like this style of this feeling like of being in the summer and not really sure what what's going to happen but you're really just trying to fill the day with events and you're going like chasing specific interests to make the day interesting like how they want to follow the satanists or want to uh (laughs) go to the the erotic bookstore uh and just having them go through those like nitty moments of just like, this is everything that's important to us right now. 
this mm-hmm. is what matters was so fun to read and I, I loved the characters and I, I think that putting them in uh, putting it from the perspective of these two girls when even when they're not together but they are obviously mostly together you get this sense of this lifelong friendship and uh, but also f- this feeling of nervousness because of this feeling of growing apart from one another as time is going on and they introduce this idea of the school that um that Enid is going to go to that possibly is going to go to and it's I don't know there's just so much that I loved about it that I had such a great time reading and it was a breeze Yay. holy fuck yeah. I read it in two sittings and it took me like an hour and a half to read it total you know and it was it was just so fast I wanted to know what happened next and I yeah. was uh I had a feeling that you would really enjoy it because I do know how big of a fan you are of of coming of age stories and I think this is a pretty um, essential one. I I think the style Mm -hmm. might kind of turn some people off um, because Enid and Rebecca are mean. They're very... Yeah, they are. So (laughs) uh, deep into irony and trying to be individuals, even though there is a very certain crowd that uh, Enid especially kind of blends into, which she very bitterly tries Mm -hmm. to reject and betray uh, even though people like her skeezy friend who whose name is escaping me, but the one who goes on the uh, Sunny Summers oh, show yes. to defend <laughs> a pedophile priest and yes, who runs uh-huh. the macabre mayhem zine and uh, mm-hmm. just generally a very skeezy guy, like clearly like that kind of person. And then a uh, Johnny Ape shit, like those are her people. Yeah. Um, but I think she very much wants to reject that and be uh, an individual. But, uh, you know, the, the the novel centers around this very intense friendship that kind of makes it hard to be an individual when you are that embedded into a friendship that defines who you are, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, defining who you are with through another person just being always with you, even if they end up kind of being the second fiddle much like Rebecca in the book at least does yeah yeah no I, I totally agree I think that you know it can very easy you can easily be turned off by the fact that yes that both of these girls can be very mean that they can <laughs> be very like hipstery to another level and yeah um very definitely obviously like I mean it, it it's set in a different time period but some like very like uh, not PC things that they're discussing, but at the same time, I like that because you're just going to spend time with these people. It's just, you're just like, it feels so natural. Like everything just feels so honest because like, yeah. this is how these two characters talk to each other. They, because they are so comfortable with one another that anything goes. I think we all have those relationships, like especially now in our, you know, when in our early twenties, like we have our friends that we feel like we can just kind of let loose around and not have to censor ourselves or um, feel like, the relationship is going to crumble because of you know something that we say or we can obviously keep keep each other in check um but you know as you're reading it you're still getting to know these people so it obviously is kind of abrasive when like words like retard are thrown at you like pretty quickly (laughs) you're just like oh okay this is what we're gonna this is what they're talking about i see um but like i said that like but yeah like i kind of really loved the fact that you felt like they had been friends forever because like i mean personal thing about me is like growing up at this point I had never had that one friend that I was like connected to for many 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 years I was always changing friendships and finding Mm -hmm. trying to find the right person so seeing something like this I was enthralled by it just feels like what is this like dynamic like how 
like how how does this last how has this been sustainable for them like what has changed like how what has um stayed the same it's just so fascinating to be with them uh, especially at this point after all of this history you really do feel like there's a lot behind it like even in the first section when they're just watching the comedian and then they're just like you know oh why do you like why do you even read these magazines? You hate all this stuff. And they're just yeah. like, just yelling at each other that way. It's like, so, like I said, it's feel, so honest and feels um, so uh, understood of one another. And yeah. it, it, it's so, I just, I like being around people who um, have those connecting relationships because it feels like the most, it just makes everyone feel more human, you know? And yeah. I, I had a great time just being with these people. And I think, you know, Rebecca and Enid feel so human because Daniel Klaus Mm -hmm. (laughs) has said um, in interviews that they are him. I mean, Enid Mm -hmm. Coleslaw, like that's an anagram for (laughs) Daniel Klaus. Like that's just his name spelled all mixed up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he has said that the girls are him. But he... Yeah, that makes sense. He wanted to depict his personality and, and view of the world and inner struggles through two teenage girls because if he did this story centered around an adult man it would just be too like miserable and creepy uh, well creepy is not the word he used but just very miserable but you know well, he makes fun of himself in the graphic he does, novel too, in a which is genius so great. one of my favorite sections of the novel yeah uh where the girls rebecca is just ripping into him yeah as a creepy pervert loser yeah. and when enid goes to meet him she thinks he's hideous and weird looking yeah. and is totally turned off <laughs> which just i was a- at first i was like oh come on dude what are you doing no. and then because yeah because because at first because she's like oh he's my favorite cartoonist he's a genius <laughs> And then he's just sitting there in one panel like, hmm. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, he's clearly shitting on himself. Okay, I'm on board. <laughs> and I, I think dialogue comes so naturally to him. Mm-hmm. And he has said, again, in interviews that that's what he, the writing aspect of graphic novels is something that came a little less naturally to him. And he felt like he had to work a bit harder to navigate and understand the conventions of um, not that I'm, I'm probably putting words <laughs> in his mouth, but that was the gist that I got from, you know, reading what he had to say about writing as opposed to just the drawing aspect. Um, mm-hmm. but I think the dialogue comes so naturally because so many of the people in the book are people that he knew basically mm-hmm. like Johnny Ape shit, who is <laughs> going to business school so that he can like a punk tear down the industry from the inside. Um, yeah. Leno Klaus said that that was somebody that he knew from college who was like so into the punk scene. And then five years later, when he ran into him, he was just trying to weasel his way out of becoming a corporate slime ball yeah. by saying, well, no, I'm, 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 you know, I'm shaking it up from the inside. I'm going to tear it down. And Daniel Klaus is like, you're just pathetic. Yeah. So, so much Mike of it. Episode from two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like so much of it is just so real. Um, but it's not like when you're reading uh, Enid and Rebecca interact and talk to each other that it, it feels, to, to bring up a often used phrase, it, it doesn't feel like they're being depicted through the male gaze. Um, I, mm-hmm. as someone who was once a teenage girl and had really? a couple of <laughs> very um, time or you know chapters of my life defining friendships with other another teenage girl where it was just like so much of who I 
looked at myself as was as so-and-so's friend. Like it was hard to separate my identity from that friendship. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's unique in a way that is kind of specific to teenage girls with the aspect of, you know, jealousy uh, and a a weird sense of competition and, and dependency that, uh, as someone who was not a teenage boy, I don't know if it's ever present in friendships between teenage boys, but uh, I think it for sure is present there. And back in the eight ball days, Daniel Klaus would say that uh, his his audience was a lot of women. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think he just through being a human <laughs> and just being such a real a genius <laughs> was able to, you know, pick up on how even to depict friendship between girls, young women, whatever, uh, in a way that I think women can very much relate to, uh, despite the fact that Enid and Rebecca basically are self inserts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think he was inventive enough and did have enough of the natural talent as a writer to, find a way to still put in a level of um, fiction that was kind of not necessary, but it is what takes it to the next level as a a really amazing coming of age story and narrative in a way that the film, I think kind of uh, does not touch on as much. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, what, what were your thoughts about the friendship dynamic between Enid and Rebecca, you know, as a, again a boy <laughs> did you ever yeah. feel um i i obviously like i i just kind of uh naturally there are some differences in terms of that type of relationship with mm-hmm. two two men that are you know two boys than it is with two girls but i think that the one thing that is kind of universal among like all relationships of that nature is the expectation from one another oh, like you sure. reach a specific um point where you're like we've been friends for you know a certain period of time you know I, I kind of expect you to like you know there's that point where she's like well you didn't tell me this what you tell me every other stupid detail about your life why didn't you tell me about like the the school thing and yeah. you feel like oh yeah you've been in that position where it's like wait why did you leave this kind of big detail out and not tell me this like there's always that expectation i definitely like i said i'd never had that um point growing up where i had the one friend that i was with for years and years and years and then felt as though um it was i was tethered to that person as this person's friend for me it was more like since i struggled with that if i had like a friend that i stuck around with for a while it then became my whole thought was like okay don't mess this up don't lose this don't mess this up don't lose this kind of thing which is very which i mean i think is an aspect to this book they're obviously very scared of like growing apart from each other but it's not the same you know and so i was very fascinated and very much into the idea that these people are very scared of uh of growing apart because they've been so close together. And I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I do agree that, and we'll talk about the movie in a second. I want to focus on this a little bit more, but um, like, yeah, the, the movie kind of takes it in a, in a different direction. And, uh, and I, I, and I agree with you also kind of backtracking that like the other characters, like in the book, like I like that they kind of just drift in and then drift out, but they still Mm -hmm. feel like, 
like tangible characters to these girls like in their head like where they are in their life like focusing on like the like you said the uh the guy who's a business major and is like trying <laughs> Johnny, to Johnny yeah, Ape shit jo- Johnny Ape shit yeah like <laughs> just knowing him by that name and focusing on like you know how he's just like was so punk rock and like this whole like those like kind of almost like cartoonish aspects of him but still make him feel real in the world that they're describing or Um, melora the uh the wannabe actress yes (laughs) yes yes she's fucking like she's so real she's like patty simcox in greece like straight out (laughs) of like that world and i i loved it yeah and again their reactions to her like how they're just like so not at all interested in what she has to say and don't jive with her like in any way and they're just like the fuck she's an actress i didn't see that fucking commercial (laughs) like that was so funny and so great because that feels like an actual reaction and i think that yeah i think that um obviously i can't speak to the experience of of being in a uh in a girl girl relationship um but the fact that it feels so realistic and it feels very much just like let's focus on these two people like these two characters as people like we've seen examples where from like you said the male gaze has come in and it's just like oh no it's about it's like coming of age like they would obviously be like hey let's compare breast sizes like that's cool (laughs) right like they don't do he's like no we're not like why would we do that you know like it doesn't make any sense so he obviously knew going in it would just be like yeah, I'm sure like just started off like let's just have them be in the same room watching the same television program. One of them is reading a magazine and they're just kind of shouting at each other like in the same room. That's a great way to kick it off. And it feels like they're just moving from place to place together as if they're kind of going, you know, from their like uh, they have like these like four places that they like to go to. They're going to Josh's apartment. They're going to visit Josh at work. They're going to Angel's, the diner. Uh, they're walking by like places around town that they've known all their life. You know, they like uh Norman at the bus stop or the pair of jeans that are on the sidewalk, you know, like uh, there's there's these uh, really great like landmarks throughout is like because that's a big part of growing up is like, you know, again, like I said, trying to fill the day, but also finding like little small adventures throughout the town and making every day exciting or trying to make, you know, some point of interest and you latch onto that. And then to have this companionship with another person, you know, it makes it feel like so much more rich and like an actual like definitive part of your life. And I think that, um, you know, just as a person, it was really exciting to see that. And obviously I haven't had the same friendship like at at this point in their lives that I did. It was, it was very different, but it was so just fun and enjoyable to like be with them. Cause like I said, I love the structure of it too, of how it feels so like it is like chapterized, you know, it is like there are definitive ends to sections and how he's able to achieve emotion through characters expressions and reactions to certain things like how like one of my favorite parts of the book is when Enid finds the record of her like that childhood song and it ends with this like uh, this like far away (laughs) just hugs it like around this like dark area like that's so beautiful yeah after a fight too with her best friend exactly it's a really wonderful emotional beat that really like tugs on my heartstrings Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of them like that like the way that he ends some of these panels like even after like i think one of them is when they like they call the uh the guy with bob skeeties no not bob skeeties oh bearded windbreaker I think so. Yeah. Bearded windbreaker. Yeah. With the citizen Kane thing, even after they finish that, they're driving away with Josh and they're just like, 
Yeah, that was kind of fucked up, wasn't it? <laughs> like they they kind of feel bad about it, and you can feel the you know you can feel the weight of that, and uh, or even or sometimes it's funny. Like she's thinking about all the times like that she could, um, you know, that she wants to hook up with her uh with that one teacher and then as she's thinking about it she's like no i want to view i want it this way no i want it yeah, this way and then it ends yeah. with her just falling asleep because yeah. she was just thinking again about it i like it, that that yeah and again talking about the uh lack thereof of the male gaze um which i mean that can be debated whether or not that's even a thing but mm-hmm. daniel close for sure handles <laughs> i said his name wrong um handles you know enid that scene of Enid masturbating really like respectfully and in mm-hmm. uh, a way that's still just like not so respectful that it's just completely sanitized. Like, again, it's, it's very, it, it's real. Just like this book just so captures yeah. what it was like to be a teenage girl better than, I don't I can't even think of a more typical or popular media about being a teenage girl. I haven't seen Lady Bird, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, I don't know this, this, oh God, I just love this book so much. It really yeah. just, it gets to me. Um, and you know, the dynamic of, of when the girls are talking to each other about sex and, you know, things that are mm-hmm. their bodies, things that are personal like that. Um, I, I think he yeah. just really captures, because again, I, I don't know if men <laughs> like talk that way and very close friendships, but the way that, you know, women are socialized just to be very close and we can talk to each other about anything and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, he nails it. And I don't know if it's because basically his two characters, it's just him talking to himself. And that's why it feels like such a familiar rooted friendship. Um, yeah. But it also just, it, it translates as something just so real. Like, Oh my God. Even though there are very, there's some pretty surreal elements to the book. You know, there's that one instance of their high school classmate who ended up having a cancerous tumor on her face. And when she makes an appearance, she's just like a monster. Yeah. She looks like a crimson uh, chin from. Yeah. Like just this really (laughs) grotesque, like not at all what a human being would most likely look like. And it's, it's pretty strange and like surreal. So there's beats like that. Um, which, you know, if you've read his other work, especially his novel that he was writing um, alongside this, uh, like A Velvet Glove uh, in Cast Iron, which is so just surreal and off the wall and insane. Um, he, he He's able to introduce things like that or things that are weirder, like the Satanists or yeah. the, uh, the reality show of or the talk show, excuse me, where... Uh, God, I can't remember that little slimy guy's name, but the friend who mm-hmm. runs the zine uh, yeah, is going on to discuss, you know, towards the beginning, they're discussing like virtual child pornography and it just really like things that leave a bad taste in your mouth. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Daniel Klaus is able to sprinkle those kinds of, dare I say, bad taste themes and images and things to think about pretty seamlessly in with a narrative that is still so real. Like it, it never takes, at least me, I don't know about you, but it never takes me out of it. It just feels like another thing introduced into the world that these girls live in and navigate together. And when they gossip about it, it, it feels like something that me and my friends would gossip about, like the mm-hmm. way that they do. It, it's just so genius. Yeah, I totally agree. John Ellis is the name of the friend. Yes. Thank you. Um, 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I love the, uh, I, I also think like just how, you know, how strange the characters that they notice are like mm-hmm. Weird Al at the diner or the Don Knotts <laughs> looking guy or, or you know, John Ellis himself. Like it kind of gives this whole world a feeling of like a small town, you know, it kind of does feel kind of like a, like a Binghamton of sorts, you know, kind of smaller. <laughs> Same. I would say, no, but. I, I was, I, I think of Binghamton every time I read this book. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. my most readings of it were done while I was in Binghamton, um, mm-hmm. but just like a, you know, a crumbling little town that <laughs> still has some kind of lifeblood in it, but just barely. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have some more things to say about the setting when we get to talking about the movie. Um, because I think the film also just really nails the setting with mm-hmm. you know the wide shots of strip malls and yeah fast mm-hmm. food restaurants. Um, but yeah, it again just feels so real. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And to kind of go back to what you're saying about the way that they like talk to each other about like some more intimate stuff. Like it's not like it's clear that they've been thinking about this. Like it's clear that they've kind of you know been keeping in check with each other and discussing ideas and really kind of, you know, springboarding off of initial thoughts about, like you said, like sex or uh, personal relationships. And yeah, it doesn't feel like, I think another like male gazy type kind of like poor way of writing it would be someone being like, what's sex? Like, Oh, (laughs) like, you know, something like that. Like it just, it would just feel so inauthentic. Like I like that at this point they're, at this point in their lives they'd be like why don't you fuck josh like oh you're so obsessed with that like it's so funny uh and i uh and i do agree that like he drops in the things about like yeah the child pornography thing and how that's yes would be seen as in bad taste but the the way that they react to it is way funnier and also the fact you kind of automatically just accept the fact that john ellis sucks he's just <laughs> awful <laughs> and you, you would see someone like him today going on talk shows and going on like podcasts and talking about that and yeah, i was just like wow that, was, that, that this guy nails it yeah i was thinking how truly ahead of his time uh daniel Klaus was with the depiction of these freak weirdos who find some kind of ironic or using irony as a shield more so uh find interest in all the weird macabre not good shit um i mean this was written in the 90s um Mm -hmm. and so you know the internet was around there's mentions of rebecca losing her virginity to a guy she met on an internet chat room and things like that um but obviously the internet in the 90s was not what it is today and the John Ellis character who like, I'm really sad that a version of him doesn't exist in the movie, but maybe it was for the best. And we can talk about that later. Um, but in the, in the book, John Ellis nowadays, like that character exists today as like mm-hmm. a Reddit mod or something or, oh, or, yeah. or a, a contributor to like bestgore.com, Like yeah. <laughs> who knows how to use like Tor or whatever. Like mm-hmm. he's just so yeah. that character was so ahead of his time. And, you know, it's not like he just pulled that out of thin air. I'm sure weird freaks who are into shit like that have always existed. Mm-hmm. Um, but just with the amount of, like, smugness and uh, irony and intensity that John Ellis, uh, you know, shows off, like, that character is just so real today. 
Uh, and, yeah. you know, he struck it again with being ahead of his time in the film, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. soon. But yeah. Oh, and and it's, it's really interesting because Daniel Klaus has said that he does not think writing characters is his strong suit, which is why so much of the character, so many of the characters in Ghost World are either just him or people that he knew. Um, but, you know, I, I would, I challenge him on that because I, I think each character is so vivid. Just there's so many memorable characters, the Satanists, John yeah. Ellis, Bob Skeeties, Weird mm-hmm. Al, like they just all stick out. And- yeah, absolutely. Well, I like that they feel like they're from his life. You know, I yeah. like the through line of Bob Skeeties and how that comes together at the end. And the oh, ending is of beautiful. the book is, the ending is so great. Like I love how, the conflict between them kind of grows and builds and the feeling of rejection when she doesn't get into the school. And then mm-hmm. when she runs into Bob Skeetis and that feels like that comes to a close and the final like six or seven panels where she's walking through the town as someone who's like seemingly much older and looks yeah. and sees um, Becca or Becky in the, uh, in the diner. And it's like, you're a very beautiful young woman, like a very, or very, you've grown to a very it's beautiful so woman. Good. Like that is a, an amazing, amazing period at the end of the sentence. Like I think that just the way that it concludes is so full of emotion and feels so honest and feels like it. It feels like the conclusion to the story of just of these two characters together. And yeah, I, and, and it is, you know. Yeah, and like it starts with them and it ends with them, and it's all about them. And sure that like Josh becomes a bit more of a prominent figure in like the second half of the book and. Um, you know, Bob Skeetis becomes like this, uh, like C or D plot, like, but like he's through it, like in mention. And I like that he comes in at the end, but it is, it's all about these two girls and they both go through change and how that relationship of like affects them. And we'll have more to say about like the overall meeting and analysis, but I don't know. I was just so filled with emotion. I was so happy. And I was like, uh, I think like he like really knocks it out of the park with this. Um, and I, I don't know. It was really fun to discover it. To discover Yay. It oh, time. man. I'm <laughs> so happy that you loved it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take a quick break to hear a word from today's sponsor. Oh, no. It's happened again. You were just trying to sift through your favorite rummage sale record collection, and your hands get all dusty. We've all been there, haven't we? Luckily, Sunshine Soaps and Sustainable Products has the perfect solution. Made with natural ingredients and handcrafted to be absolutely adorable, these are soaps that can make you feel good about your body and the environment. Creator Chelsea Bowles is an avid environmentalist and a crafty person, so when she had the idea to make soaps, it just made sense. She's a local business owner based in Binghamton, New York, so you know all her products are made from the heart, including the fabulous sunflower-shaped lemon lavender bar and the honey oat-scented honeycomb. And if you're feeling spooky, romantic, or both, check out their Apple the Friendly Ghost Soap and the Strawberries and Cream Valentine's Day Bar. And guess what? For listening to this episode, you get an awesome discount on any and all of her lovely products. Use promo code FILMPODCAST on Sunshine Soap's Etsy page to get free shipping when you purchase two or more items. Perfect for any Satanist, hipster, poser, or jazz enthusiast in your life. Visit Sunshine Soaps Sustain on Etsy.com. That's Sunshine Soaps Sustain on Etsy.com and use promo code FILMPODCAST to get free shipping when you purchase two or more products. Sunshine Soap Sustain on Etsy.com. Now, the movie 
is a different story. Um, yes. So, so the movie comes out in 2001. Is directed yeah. by uh, Terry Zweigoff. I was about to say, I believe the movie was uh, had a wide release, like September mm-hmm. 21st, 2001, which is some pretty unfortunate timing for a wide release. So, um, I believe it was not a box office hit. <laughs> it, it was not. No. It, yes, it came out in July. Um, but obviously, you know, it, it, uh, it, it made, so it was a $7 million budget. It made 8.8 million. And then later on became a, uh, a cult hit, uh, among, you know, kind of, uh, underground film nerds, much like we talked about with, uh, Fight Club mm-hmm. last time. Uh, the film stars Scarlett Johansson, Thora Birch, uh, Brad Renfro, and Steve Buscemi. And it is co-written by Terry Zweigoff and Daniel um, Klaus uh, together. They they wrote it together, uh, which is which I did not know actually going into it. So it was fun to yeah. see his name pop up, and I was like, okay, how are they gonna, uh, you know, adapt it and uh, you know change things here and there? And I gotta say, going into the movie, I kind of knew that they would have to take you know certain liberties or change change or add certain aspects to the plot because obviously you know the the book is about 80 pages and Mm -hmm. the movie is like 110 minutes so kind of knew going in that there would be some story changes and uh i want to ask you first what did you think of the what did you think of the film i really liked it um i knew at the last minute going in that daniel claus had um worked on the uh screenplay (laughs) worked on he wrote the screenplay along with terry Mm -hmm. zweigoff and that Terry Zweigoff directed the Crumb documentary. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, he was pretty adjacent and familiar with the world of graphic novels, underground comics, etc. Um, so, yeah, I knew that Daniel Klaus was involved. Um, and I knew that Steve Buscemi was in the film, but that was all I knew. I didn't know that he was a completely new character. So mm-hmm. I had always thought that Steve Buscemi was Bob Skeeties. And I was like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Like Bob Skeeties is going to have a way bigger presence in the film. That's really interesting. I'm really excited to see what they do with that. So a little disappointed to discover that uh, Bob Skeeties is, I don't think even mentioned in the film. So, uh, you know, my initial thoughts were once the movie really got into its runtime and you see just how much it is not a focus on the two characters um, or the two kids, Enid and Rebecca and their friendship. I was like a little bummed, but then again, the book just so perfectly tells that story. So mm-hmm. what would really be the point of telling it again? And Daniel Klaus would say in interviews that he kind of had a similar thought process when it came to writing that originally <laughs> when writing the screenplay, he just tried to type up all the dialogue in the comics word for word. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, this is not working. So then he he went with a different approach with Terry Zweigoff of just keeping the characters, but, um, you know, inventing a new one with, with whom they had Steve Buscemi in mind for casting, yeah. which I think is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then introducing a new kind of plot and conflict, uh, which I think ended up working out great because then as a huge Daniel Klaus fan, I get to see basically like a whole different story that he Mm -hmm. wrote. Uh, And in general, he had a lot of creative control um, and, you know, they had a producer that really, you know, stuck it out for them and, and let them stick with whatever choices they wanted. Because for example, 
one thing that Daniel Klaus was really adamant about was that he wanted teenage girls to be Rebecca and Enid. He, mm-hmm. he didn't want like a 25 year old playing no. uh, an 18 year old. And so, you know, originally Christina Ricci was going to be cast as Enid, uh, which I think would have been better. Uh, but by the time cool. production got off the ground, Christina Ricci was like 21. And so they uh, they were like, no way, we're keeping our foot down on that one. Yeah. And their mm-hmm. producer just like let them have it. Uh, and they got Thora Birch instead, who I believe at the time was a bigger star than Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, because um, I mean, Thora Birch was in American, American Beauty. Beauty. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Scarlett Johansson gives a way better performance, but we can talk about that later. Uh, yes. So, oh, yeah, Daniel Klaus had a lot of creative control and and he would say that he was there every single day on set, like all day, which, you know, I don't know if that's typical for screenwriters but it should be in my opinion um and he said that there was a lot of respect given to him of these are your characters this is your story uh and that Mm -hmm. you know costume designers would ask him like what socks would enid wear (laughs) like so it was just a lot of uh his control over his characters which i think is awesome Mm -hmm. and you can just totally like hear his voice uh in the script and the dialogue it it really does feel like another installment of the ghost world comic but just a bit different and seymour is just such a great character Mm -hmm. Uh, he i i think seymour is like the heart of the film yeah um which is you know different because obviously enid and rebecca and their friendship uh and their dynamic is the heart of the book so having Steve Buscemi who just steals every scene that he's in be in Mm -hmm. my opinion like the focus I mean people will probably argue like Enid is still ultimately the main character but I think Steve Buscemi Seymour captures so much of like the mix between like sadness and humor and loneliness that you know is a pretty common theme in, in characters in Daniel Klaus's work uh, and seeing that captured on screen as a fan was just very nice. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what what well, were your you thoughts? Liked it. I, I it's a bit of a mixed bag for me, if I'm being completely honest, because I I do think that I, I do agree that it definitely feels like um, Danny C is at the uh, has a lot of creative control and mm-hmm. uh, is really putting a lot of life back into these characters, and it feels like they were written um, by him and. Uh, like the dialogue feels very similar and obviously there are panels and scenarios that are lifted straight from the graphic novel um, into the film. And it's really fun to see those obviously when she gets like the Catwoman mask from, uh, from the Anthony's. adult bookstore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, you know, the, the fifties diner and the, the Satanists and, and all that, that's really fun to see. And I do think that the performances overall are very enjoyable. Steve Buscemi is obviously really great to watch and, uh, it's hard not to like him. And, uh, I liked Thora Birch. I didn't think she was amazing, but I do, th- yeah. I do think she was good. And I she wasn't was expecting Scarlett Johansson to be in, as little as the movie as she is. I was expecting her to be in it more, um, but I thought she was really good. And she was awesome. And I think yeah, she completely captured like, the character of Rebecca that we see in, in the novel. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, I mean, and I think that they like, even though one is better than the other, I do think that the two of them together have good 
chemistry. And oh, yeah. I, yeah. I feel that there's a friendship there. And I feel that, um, and obviously like they had to, you know, like I said, I knew going into that there would be some changes made and like adding some new stuff. So they focus on how they want to get an apartment together and they put mm-hmm. um, Enid in this art class as like her scenario for the summer and having trying to find a job and then fall like having this relationship um, with Seymour. My biggest thing, though, is well, I think I think because the the graphic novel is just so new to me, maybe I just need to watch the movie again. But like because of the graphic novel and the way that the story plays out there and how the relationship was shown in the graphic novel, I fell so much in love with that and seeing yeah. how you they kind of separate the girls like the, they they put them apart from each other quite a bit. I know, and and that was hard for me to like mm-hmm. enjoy. Um, yeah, but and, but you know, again, like like what are you going to do? Just like adapt the same story, like which is already yeah. in a visual medium. Daniel Klaus mm-hmm. spoke about how you know, even though they're both visual mediums, film and comics, it's still insanely different adapting it for the screen, uh, and and thinking how you're going to have a still comic panel translate as a moving image um which i still think was done pretty seamlessly like the settings of enid's room or seymour's record room with all the weird kitsch and and everything that we kind of see in the comic fleshed out even more and come to life even more uh like he did a great job tim and terry zweigoff yeah they get like the style the vintage pop style like the colors look really fun and like how this it's kind of like this washed out like the reds they're like there's like leopard print costumes Mm -hmm. and like a lot of the 50s 60s designs and the production design and the costume design uh like that feels super authentic to the story that they're yeah and like lifted from the pages for sure but Mm -hmm. yeah I, i i've been like going back and forth since watching the movie of of well what i really have wanted to see just the exact same story just on screen um Mm -hmm. or am i more happy with seeing a different story um but it it is so weird to see them so apart you feel like yeah and i think that's like kind of genius because i feel like their friendship and dynamic is one that i'm i'm like familiar to in real life where it's that kind of friendship where if you see one person without the other you're like well where's Where's so and so? Where's your friend? It's so mm-hmm. weird to see you guys apart. Drawing back to my own experiences, I- I've had long-standing friendships where that was kind of uh, something people would say. Like it's so weird to see you not with the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you know in the film we don't really see them grapple as much with navigating a, a codependent, borderline unhealthy friendship when you're really coming of age and, and you know, it's post-graduation you're figuring out what's next and who you want to be because it's pretty hard to figure out as a baby in high school who you want to be. And it might even be more difficult when you have this friendship that you've had for so many years because it's hard to see the future separate from that, even though it probably will be due to just the way that life works out. Uh, you know, we get that really wonderful scene in the novel of Enid saying to Rebecca, you know, sometimes I just, and she says this in the movie, but not to Rebecca, uh, sometimes I just want to like run away and not tell anybody and just be a completely new person with a new life. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this next exchange is absent in the film, but Rebecca says, well, what does that have to do with me? 
And Enid said something along the lines of, you know everything about me, so how can I be a new person with a best friend who knows everything about me and knows every horrible yeah. thing? And that's just so true. And so I think that kind of sentiment, which we see Enid navigate throughout the book and Rebecca deal with and grieve uh, on her end, um, you know, that's not present in the film as a conflict. And something kind of surprising is that I think Rebecca in the film is the one out of the two girls who it wants more independence and, and drives more for that, which is so not yeah. like her character in the book. Um, you know, in the book, she's like, well, how about I just move with you to college or mm-hmm. I, I could just find a job and we can live together. And she's like, maybe I am a lesbo. <laughs> 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 and she's like, it'll like, we can just, those women will be us in like 30 years, just always together. Yeah. Um, Uh And and she's very, she ends up being very self-conscious of just how dependent she is on this friendship with Enid, whereas Enid kind of wants to move on and and figure herself out separately from that. Uh, And so we don't see that in the book, or in the film, excuse me, uh, which I thought was like sad because I would have really liked to see that dynamic played out by, you know, actresses, especially one as talented as uh, Scarlett Johansson. Because I think I just didn't really like Thora Birch's performance in this film. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I I think she... I don't know if it's because each thing I've only ever seen Thora Birch in, she plays similar characters, like an American Beauty, just the very like deadpan, bratty mm-hmm. kid. Uh, and, you know, and Enid is bratty. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know if it's just like I've only seen her play very similar characters to where like every film I've seen her in all too... I just feel like she doesn't have much of a range, but uh, I, I don't know. I felt like her performance in this was kind of like lukewarm. And when she would kind of deliver Enid's one liners, which Scarlett Johansson was able to deliver Rebecca's like perfectly. And it felt so like, so real and not at all like something lifted from a page. Uh, yeah. I think Thora Birch kind of like her performance, it, it felt a little like cornier and maybe that was on purpose because I think Enid is someone who's trying to, figure herself out and is a little aware that she comes off as corny and she's terrified of that and wants to mm-hmm. like in the book and the film when someone calls out her her punk <laughs> day as inauthentic mm-hmm. and she's like i'm doing like a 70s punk look when punk was super authentic like she's so insecure about it and so yeah i don't know if thora birch's kind of like stilted delivery of those kinds of like ironic one-liners was maybe a purposeful choice on her part um but it didn't come across that way to me i think i just don't like her (laughs) or her acting um and i think christina ricci would have been way better but i totally understand that she aged out of the role so they didn't want to have a 21 year old playing 18 year old. Yeah, I, I totally agree with with that. And and the like, especially that moment where she's like, it's a 70s punk. Like, it just doesn't feel like <laughs> Thora Birch, like actually knew what she was saying. Like, it just was kind yeah. of like words on the page kind of thing. And, yeah. and Scarlett Johansson really captures like the vibe of just being like, look at those fucking weirdos. Over there. You know, like <laughs> yeah. she's really good at that. And she was at the perfect age to do that. And um, yeah, I think for me, I was like, I was excited to see a lot of the conflict between them. Like you say, it is kind of a borderline unhealthy relationship and the conflict starts to grow between them of like, well, I mean, yeah, we will. You don't want me to be there. Okay, we're already growing apart. Like this whole single event of moving away is starting to kind of 
grow into something bigger than we had expected it to. And I was excited to see that. And then obviously on top of that, add more, you know, story around it, maybe like getting, cause we have like scenes in the novel of them, like eating with each other's parents and seeing their home life. Maybe something else yeah. would like come into play that way. Which also, um, um I really, I think there's some really, sorry to cut you off, but just really uh-huh. great contextual storytelling there. Like Rebecca lives with her grandmother yeah, and, you know, most teenagers don't live with a grandparent unless there's some kind of unfortunate circumstance in which parents are not involved. And right. so we get a sense there of her character and, and Enid with her father, who does have a presence in the movie. Uh, and he's played by one of the NBC executives on Seinfeld during the uh, show about nothing arc, which was just very fun to see him in something else. Bob Balaban, <laughs> fucking yes. G, a, a Wes Anderson favorite. I love Bob Balaban. He's so fun in this movie. Um, and and Enid's dad is so sweet in the book and the film. Yeah. And I think that's something so great, too, to see such a genuinely sweet character and Enid be such a brat. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, to this nice character. Yeah. But like, I guess I was just kind of expecting to see like, because again, that's such it's kind of a staple of the coming of age, you know, yeah, uh, the home life. So the fact that like you don't spend and we can talk about her relationship with Seymour in a second. But like the fact that we don't see them together for a significant chunk chunk of like the second act. And I I was just kind of like, oh, I want I want them to be together more. I feel like it's going to come to a point where they're not together, where they're going to have to split up and it's going to not like have as much weight to it and i was just i was kind of waiting for that and i i I wanted to get back to them and again steve buscemi is a is a great performer um but i i just i just kept wanting more from the two main characters uh like to be together and bounce off each other that way um so in that way i was kind of disappointed and i agree that i don't think that they could have just done the entire same story structure as the as the novel yeah. obviously like they have to make some changes they have to add stuff like i totally agree and it, and it wouldn't make sense because it already is very visual for sure i'm curious if they could have maybe they could have done it like if they wanted to do like an animated movie of just the the graphic novel that would have could have been an interesting project but that's not what we're talking about um <laughs> but i want to talk about this relationship with seymour because it's it's strange because I think that I, I'm uh, right right out of the gate. I'm not going to make the argument or say that this is <laughs> problematic or offensive <laughs> or in bad taste or anything like that. I think that um, unconventional or I guess unconventional is probably a <laughs> lack of a better term in terms of the, how the relationship is. But like we both like mediums where or both like works that involve unconventional relationships like mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about call me by your name in a few weeks that's a very unconventional relationship one of your favorite films is happiness so many like yeah, you know which uh, interest- daniel Klaus is also a fan of and did mm-hmm. the artwork for the poster uh and well, very quick little go. tidbit todd salons had sent daniel Klaus the script mm-hmm. uh and made a proposition that he wanted daniel Klaus to uh make a graphic novel adaptation of the script and Daniel Close is like that will take me literally years and will be done yeah. long after your film is out so no I'm not doing that but I can yeah. do the poster that's but, funny uh, but like you know and relationships like that can be portrayed on screen and to great success my yeah. thing is just like again I was just so 
not as interested as a, as I was supposed to be because I was so in love with the two female characters that this whole other story of separating them apart it didn't it wasn't really able to fully grab me like it fully it just didn't really work all that much for me and yeah. which I don't necessarily think is a detriment to the f- it's tough because I know that they believed in the story that they were telling and they thought like that they wanted to tell something different and add something new to it it just for me didn't work as well as I think they wanted it to. It didn't really affect me. I was just kind of the whole time I was like, Steve Buscemi's good. This is a a good performance. I am curious to see like the relationship is going in an interesting direction, but it it was just kind of weird for me in terms of character for her to be like, my main motivation from now on is going to be to help this guy get a date. And I don't know. It was just weird for me to get into that. I'm not saying that that's inauthentic. It was just, it didn't, I couldn't really get into it. You know, it kind of made sense to me. And I think it was true to Enid's character from the book um, because she kind of like almost like collects these little people, like these characters. She gets so invested in the Satanists and she's so upset when they break up. That's um, a fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and, totally. And 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 Bob Skeeties or the Don Knotts looking guy, like she yeah. gets very invested in just these like people, um, mm-hmm. and so I thought it did make sense for her to get invested in um, Seymour uh, from a character standpoint. Um, but yeah, you know, cause in terms of a romantic interest, cause you know, we could talk about whether or not Enid was like romantically interested in Seymour or just like really lonely. Um, but I was pretty, um, bummed to not see the kind of triangle between the girls and Josh, mm-hmm. uh, on screen. I mean, I, Josh's character was, um, you know, kind of demoted into a very like funny little side character i loved seeing him work at <laughs> the uh like 7-eleven type place yeah. which features one of my favorite side characters to ever be in a movie the guy with the nunchucks just <laughs> amazing yeah. i loved him every second that guy was on screen yeah. um but in the book i feel like the whole thing with josh uh is another example of of Daniel Clowes really just so capturing uh what it's like to be as as again girls uh in a very intense friendship where things like jealousy um kind of start to really come up uh because you know uh, maybe we should provide some context <laughs> for those who haven't read it uh in the book um Josh is romantically interested in Enid uh, and Rebecca kind of has repeatedly says throughout the book, you know, guys are always more interested in you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and for, you know, a friendship between two women who are attracted to men in one capacity or another, I feel like that is something that kind of like comes up when they get just way too close because, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have time on your own to meet men when outside of meeting them with your friend. when you're in that intense friendship so like that kind of jealousy just kind of comes up um and you know they talk about each other's bodies like enid is like you're way skinnier than me like guys like that way more things like that um are introduced through josh's presence in the book and it just god i love that scene uh or sequence rather where 
Enid goes to sleep with Josh and he's like, yeah, you must know that I, I've always really like had a big crush on you. And then she cries because she kind of has a moment of self-awareness where she knows she's doing this kind of almost a- as a stab at Rebecca, in my yeah. opinion, that's my reading of it because I think she knows Rebecca well enough to know that Rebecca wishes Josh liked her. And then, you know, later on, Rebecca's the one who ends up sleeping with Josh and then dating him. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of dynamic and, and human drama uh, that is so real and and more typical than the kind of, like, relationship that en- Enid has with Seymour in the film. I don't think many people could relate to <laughs> the relationship that Enid has with Seymour, but I think a lot of, of women can relate to the kind and men too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can relate to the kind of triangle that's present in the book with Josh's character between Rebecca and Enid. And so I was yes. really, I was bummed to see that just completely absent from the film. I totally agree. I think that was perfectly well said. And I think that, cause a lot of what, what's so cool about the, about that story in the book is that it feels like, you know, it's, uh, these three characters and the Josh is still obviously not as like fully connected to the overall story as, uh, as the two girls, but he's like, he's a player, you know, and yeah. I'm not just fighting for him. Cause we have the same name. That has nothing to do with this. <laughs> um, but he gives the girls something to like another thing to kind of fight or connect over in a way, you know, he kind of goes through the motions with them and it makes it kind of feel again, like this, like, part of their life like just like when they're graduating high school being in a small town only really having each other and you know they're going through this period of change they're experimenting they're figuring out what's best for them exploring feelings of love and attraction and I, I definitely agree with you that I think that you know Enid is chasing a slight interest feeling only like because like maybe she does have interests in Josh but it is kind of based in oh Rebecca has clear feelings for her and it is in this period where she's kind of upset with Rebecca, and um, and then Quick when feelings Rebecca, for Josh, you mean? That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, sorry. you said her, and I was like, <laughs> my fault, my fault. No, you're fine. Totally misspoke. Just with no. all the, with um, all the lines from Rebecca. Maybe yeah. I am a lesbian. I wasn't sure if you were being purposeful. No, 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 no. I knew that was. I knew that wasn't the case. Um, <laughs> no, that was just a mis a misspoke. But um, but no, that that is a great scene where she goes, you know, to uh, and then after one once um once once Rebecca hooks up with Josh and they have that beautiful moment and then they're dating. You can kind of then see this other rift coming between them. And it's kind of Mm -hmm. that tear isn't able to repair itself by the end of the story. And that's really powerful and really interesting to see. Um, And again, like you said, yeah, it's very relatable. And I like that. It feels like on the same level, like all of the story feels like a teenager's perspective of everything and not in the sense of a, a, of naive, but this feels like their whole world, you know, this feels oh, yeah. like super important to them. And it feels important to you because you have been there before, you know, and like a collective you, like everybody when you read it. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I really, you know, I think again, that makes the, the ending of the book so powerful is that like, then we're just focusing on Enid for the last like two sections, you know, the last like 10 pages feels like it's like just her. And then when she sees Rebecca at the end, I don't know. It just it just all works. So then adding and again, I can't I will never slander the name of Steve Buscemi. You will <laughs> never, ever hear that from me. I love the man. He's a, an incredibly likable performer, a wonderful guy. I just think that, you know, even though obviously this is a new story and this is a, a probably, like you said, authentic to the character. It just wasn't as emotionally engaging as it was as this could as it could have been in the book because of how 
because of how different it was, you know, because of how, uh, I mean, it's just an entirely different relationship and it it didn't, it didn't fully work for me, unfortunately. And because of that, it's such a, it's such an integral part of the movie because it's like kind of the B plot, I guess, kind of the, it's one of the main story arcs. And because of that, it was just hard for me to be so in, Engaged in what was going on, and then they have that whole yeah. thing with the art show and how she uses yeah. the art. Yeah, uh, and and that I didn't really like connect with at all. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we get a very vague mention of Enid, you know, being an artist in the book, um, but it's just like a like a one liner, uh, and, yeah. and clearly people like her, it, you can just assume that they're into art. Um, but yeah, the like <laughs> B or C plot of the whole art. Uh, art class over the summer thing mm-hmm. um i i that was like my least favorite part of the movie um i agree. I, I enjoyed I, I feel like the purpose was you know to introduce some conflict later on for that it's, it's all related to seymour losing his job and his life just like torpedoing into disarray mm-hmm. um but ultimately those scenes kind of felt to me like just to kind of establish enid's character a bit more because we get to watch her roll her eyes at um and, and and i love this i think it's genius and ahead of its time we get to see her like roll her eyes at the very canned like feminist art that's yeah. just so and, and i'm like oh my god this was so ahead of its time like god daniel close would have like a field day now if he could see all the instagram accounts of like women just fingering fruit that vaguely looks like a vulva or like, <laughs> like just trying like vaginas and being like, my body rules. I don't know. Just like, just totally like corny, not actually very deep or intellectual like feminist. And I say that with air quotes. Are um, and so I, I enjoyed that those scenes kind of like made fun of uh, that kind of uh, movement in art, which definitely right. deserves uh, being made fun of. And I was like, this totally like feels like a very updated because, you know, in the, in the book, uh, Enid and, and Rebecca, they're talking a lot about like phony hipstery type of people who listen to like shitty music or think they have like good taste, but it's like not good taste and stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, the whole art scenes, art class scenes kind of were like a more updated version of, of those kinds of conversations and, um, you know, uh, criticisms. Uh, and so I, I enjoyed them, but they were like definitely my least favorite part, but yeah, like the more I talk about it and think about it, I like, Oh my God, the whole like tampon in a teacup, uh, found art sculpture. (laughs) Like that's totally something that would exist today. Like there's gotta be an Instagram account of like shit like that. And, and I, I loved (laughs) getting to see like retroactively Enid kind of like mock, and um, totally like see right through this very phony type of art. Uh, yeah. Very fun. So yeah, the more I talk about it, the more I, I did enjoy those scenes and just the totally like on the nose. Uh, and it's the same girl making that like phony art of the, the coat hangers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The coat hangers. <laughs> well, it's a comment on a uh, abortion, like no yeah. shit. And yeah. people like lap it up. Oh, it's so good. So genius. Um, and, and, and that was totally like, I assume Daniel Klaus again, just being ahead of his time and just totally like not only seeing perfectly what was the current like language and, uh, 
prevailing movements in art, but also just predicting what will continue to march on and somehow get even more popular. Um, Mm -hmm. And speaking of popularity and just being ahead of its time, Seymour was like so ahead of his time as a character with collecting like the records. Um, Because I assume that in 2001, you know, record collecting hadn't really taken off the way that it has within the past like six or seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, But Seymour, much like, you know, a lot of, much like the way that uh, Rebecca and Enid in the book are just so real and and their dialogue is just so real. So much of Seymour is very real when he's talking about like music and his records and his record Mm -hmm. collection. I'm like, I've met so many people who are like this. And the way that I can see myself in Enid and Rebecca, like I see myself in Seymour with like his, his hermity love of music and records and, and his collections and keeping himself like insulated in that and kind of refusing to believe that anybody out there could even share those interests, even though he meets a girl at a bar who does, but then he has to kind of like check her with the whole, well, it's not really jazz. It's more (laughs) time blues. That scene was genius. And like, yeah, could have been completely like lifted from a rate your music, like discussion board. Like it was so ahead of its time. Uh, And so, yeah. And you know, and we wouldn't have gotten that without Seymour. And, and we wouldn't have gotten that great little commentary on like phony art without the art class scene. So I, I think there's things that were introduced into the film that were really, really valuable and were a joy mm-hmm. to see. And, and felt like, again, as a, as a Daniel Close fan, like reading another one of his comics. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I enjoyed it. But, but like you said, it, it's an enjoyment different from an emotional connection yeah like does that make sense yeah no totally and i think with the art stuff i think it makes sense that they would go in that direction of like it's a good framing device right for a story like this where it's just like okay we got to give like this character something else to do whereas like you know rebecca has she has her job like that's like her thing and um enid okay we'll put her we'll we'll give her a class and give her like other um, characters to interact with and we have this really wacky art teacher character who was was portrayed really well and was very funny and had a good energy um yeah and yeah great. i mean the 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 jokes on the modern art and uh you know pretentious values was was very funny and yeah you see enid like just trying to search for an answer with the racist painting that she has <laughs> and the teacher's just like magnificent amazing like, that's, yeah that's that's really funny um i just think that the um like that painting and the then the downfall of that at the art show and then her not getting into that art school and then seymour losing his job that whole like downfall of that just didn't really like flow story-wise for me or feel like it had any like huge impact only because like again in the book like we uh, like the idea of Enid trying to get into a school and then not getting in is carried over through both works but in the book it feels like an actual part of the theme where it feels like you're not good enough because like that that when she gets those results back, I mean, there was already like a lot of feeling of not wanting to take the test and go to the school. But when she gets the feeling that she says, like, I knew I wasn't smart enough to pass yeah, the test, you it's feel so like heartbreaking. Fuck. It's like because and then added to the discussions that they have about like, you know, 
uh, about music, about style, about that is that in this time in your life where you think you do know everything because you've (laughs) kind of gotten a sense of personal style and whatnot. But the and then something comes in and kind of it's like a reality check where you're just like, fuck, maybe I'm not good enough. And then because of that their relationship becomes this like, okay, maybe I'm not good enough for this person or this person isn't good enough for me. Like it feels so reminiscent of that theme. Whereas in the movie, it's more like, Hey, here's this pamphlet of this um, art school that we, uh, that I could uh, sign yeah. up for. And it doesn't really feel like it means anything. Yeah. Well, especially we, since like, I it think doesn't really feel like there was there... an emotional downfall from that. Like, yeah, I don't especially know, it just since Enid had like a full ride in the film. Too, yeah. for like the first year it was like a full ride scholarship and she got it all the only stipulation was that she had to pass the class which she didn't um mm-hmm. and and so yeah we don't get that emotional contemplation of, of trying for something and taking that blow to your confidence and self-esteem which is already pretty fragile as every 18 year olds is um but especially very fragile in enid's case as she's so unsure of who she is um, of of trying and then failing, um, mm-hmm. like it like it, it's just something that's kind of given to her in the film and then taken away from her only by like coincidence or not coincidence but like circumstances that she literally was not even aware of. Which I also didn't yeah. like that decision that like the whole uh, art show kind of like going up in flames thing happened without her even being there. Um, it, it, very passive. Um, and and yeah and like you said it felt kind of like clunky in the way that it all ended up relating to each other and then resulting in Seymour losing his job and like going crazy um or crazier than he already was Mm -hmm. uh yeah I remember thinking like wow this all feels really really rushed and like really climactic in a way that Daniel Close's work typically is not and and with mm-hmm. the whole ending and you know it being a film and having to have like a traditional like act structure i wonder how much of that was terry zweigoff um yeah. being involved as opposed to close who's like just way more understated with his graphic novels and there's never big any kind of swell of of action like that um yeah at least in the works of his that i've read and, and yeah it, that that felt very different yeah, and I think that, and the one thing that I, I do like that it is that that is present again is like the the whole thing with Norman and the bus stop. Yeah. That um, like I love that in the book and the way they do it in the film. Like it feels like it. it I mean, it's it's a it's it's a pretty simple thing to kind of just bring over, you know. But, yeah, it feels very uh, supernatural in the film, though, which I thought was yeah. interesting in the way that it and did I, in the book. Yeah, but I, I like that that's, you know, it feels it's obviously very metaphorical about like, you know, thinking one thing has it stayed the same for years and years, but uh, and it's just kind of accepting that that's the way things are, but then realizing that, oh, this is it's actually something else and um, discovering you know, a new path and, you know, going down that road. But that's supposed to be a big thematic image at the end of the movie that doesn't really, again, it doesn't really feel fully earned in my opinion, whereas it does, like, it does really well in the, in the book as this thing where she's just like looking and sees that the bus comes and she's like, well, son of a bitch, you know? So I just think that overall, I I wouldn't in no way say that the movie is, is bad or that it's, uh, I I mean, it's a good movie. It, it, It just left me, feeling kind of cold personally yeah because you know 
sorry. Do you want to finish? No, no. I was. Uh, it was just really quick. I just think I think the performances are great. I think that the. <clears throat> You know, the the design, the look of everything, it's a very well-made movie. I just think that I was expecting something different going into it. And even though there were changes, I didn't think the changes that they make, some of them were fine and others left me feeling kind of empty. And yeah. so I, it didn't fully work for me. As, yeah, as the, end, the ending really does not emotionally hit as strong, even though it, it really is almost like panel for panel, the same thing mm-hmm. with like the bus just leaving. Um, I think in the film, it kind of comes across as Enid sort of escaping uh, as like, uh, I don't know if consequence is the right word, but as a result of just like so much shit is just not going the way that she wants. So she has to get out. Whereas in the book, it feels like she has way more agency and it's something that she was really thinking of for a longer time. Because, you know, in the in the film, she's like planning on moving in with Rebecca, but then like she's not. And you get the feeling of like listlessness for sure and mm-hmm. kind of having a hard time figuring out what you're going to do next. But in the book, we see her really contemplate her individuality and her wanting to find herself outside of her hometown and her friends that she's had forever. Uh, we get way more of a sense of that being something that she's considering for much longer and then, you know, leaving on that bus uh, or le- or leaving town and then coming back and then leaving again on that bus uh, really pays off emotionally as very hopeful, in my opinion, uh, which was Daniel Klaus's intent. He said that he was going for a hopeful ending with the book of mm-hmm. her making the choice for herself that she is going to, you know, grow and become bigger. Yeah. Uh, whereas in the film, it really feels like she's doing it just to like get away and like, you know, get away from the noise that came as a result of her poor decisions. Um, and, and I, and, and Rebecca ending up being the one who's finding her individuality more, um, and a sense of like security and self. Yeah. So even though the ending are like, quote unquote, the same, um, ultimately to agree with you that like, it didn't really have the same emotional payoff, uh, so much to the point where apparently a lot of people interpret the ending of the film to mean that Enid had committed suicide, especially with how supernatural the whole bus thing is with like the right. Norman mm-hmm. Square. Um, mm-hmm. And Daniel Klaus said that the very first time he heard that theory, he was like, what are you talking about? But then he kept yeah. hearing it and he was like, oh, what did we do for it to come across that way? Uh yeah, because it feels almost the way that, like, you could argue that, like, suicide is just, like, this is the only way out. Enid leaving on that bus in the film feels like her just taking the only way out. Whereas in the book, mm-hmm. it's her going on to the next part of her life and, and growing. Um, and it's, like, Yeah, way I, I think better. that in the book, the I think that's a very interesting way to read it. Um, I think that... Oh, yeah, I didn't read it as her committing suicide. No, no, I, 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 I definitely didn't either. And I think that, uh, I think I, cause I, I definitely think in the book, the feeling of a journey going on a journey or starting a new journey is very prevalent. And yeah, whereas like you, I, like you said so well that the ending of the book, it just kind of feels like, okay, she's getting away from, she wants to leave this behind and not think about these decisions and kind of just uh, get get away from this the chaos of this relationship that she started. Yeah, in in the whereas, film, mean. yes, yeah, in the film, yeah. and then whereas in the book, it feels more like it's time to move on. That those relation, this has passed. 
it's time to start anew. And then she looks at the old with with seeing Rebecca in the restaurant is like, hmm, very sentimental. And yeah. then moving on to something that's uh, brand yeah. new. And it, it, it is hopeful, even though it is a, you know, it is an emotionally kind of somewhat devastating where you see them leave each other it is yeah. uh, it is very powerful but and, and Rebecca's like gets tears in her eyes when she sees yeah. Enid come back mm-hmm. like it's so like it's perfect it's, it's, yeah it's, it's, oh, really it's so good but and it, it just doesn't it, you just don't get that from from the film it's just kind yeah. of feels like well it's time to go. Yeah. Here's and, the and, credits. Yeah. And even with the whole relationship and the dynamic between Enid and Seymour, we don't get that, you know, melancholic retrospection. Um, I think Seymour's character ends on kind of a like darkly humorous note um, where, you know, he's moved back in with his mother and he's in therapy and, yeah. uh, and he doesn't have a job or a girlfriend anymore. Um, and it, it, it's humorous in the way that like, you know, you mentioned happiness, and, and I, I, th- I thought of Todd Salons and his films during this one, and I was like, man, he would have been a good director of this too. But it, it's not very emotionally hard hitting. Uh, right. You know, Seymour's character, his his natural conclusion, it just comes off more as like a, a comedic thing. Um, yeah. Or, or not necessarily comedic, because I think you can definitely look at him as somebody who, you know, did not realize that he was making an unhealthy decision um, and, you know, played into, not played into, but kind of indulged his just longing to like connect with someone that he felt was so similar to him, like Enid, Mm -hmm. ignoring the fact that it is just completely like inappropriate. It would never work to have a relationship with an 18 year old. Um, And, you know, and so you have that theme of like unhealthy relationships or codependency um, mm-hmm. that I do think is also present in the book through obviously Enid and Rebecca's relationship. It really does. The, the film almost, it should have just been named like Seymour. It really feels like his story almost yeah. with, uh-huh. with Enid as a backdrop or as, um, you know, a, a plot device to his story. No, I totally agree. It's, and he's uh, a great character. Like I had no problem spending as much time with him as we did because mm-hmm. he is so great and so funny and also lovable. Like I, like you said, you weren't going to ruminate on whether or not he was a creep or whatever because, um, I don't know, even though I felt very, very uncomfortable and my skin was crawling watching him, like, spoon her naked in bed, like, I was like, yeah, oh, was this something. feels <laughs> very wrong. But he is still very... He's pitiful, and I think there's a difference between being likable and yeah. pitiful. Um, and he is pitiful, but also likable. Like he toes the line uh, mm-hmm. in a way that I feel like almost we probably feel as the viewer, similar to the way that Enid feels. Like I'm so interested in this character. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, he's he's very nice. He's very um, he. You don't get the sense that he's dangerous or malicious or or malicious or anything like that i mean obviously he's he's kind of you know he's kind of a loner weirdo but he's Mm -hmm. not harmful you know i don't get the sense that he would it it wasn't like i wasn't getting a creep sense it was just more like is this where we're going this is what we're going to focus on for this movie like okay um but no he is like again because steve buscemi is so good like he is a very like the character is it's a is a good character and it's um and you know is and he is likable and you understand his reasoning for doing things and how he acts with certain people is he does feel like a 
a, a person. Um, it just was a, a lot to focus on and something that I just couldn't fully connect with, unfortunately. But it's interesting to have watched them both. So to be introduced to both of them so closely, like back to back because they're so yeah, different. same. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So I think we've reached the end of our discussion. I think we got to answer the question though. Which one do you connect with more the graphic novel or the film? Oh, the graphic novel for sure. Like by a long slot, I enjoyed watching the film because I enjoy just getting to look at these characters and and spend some time with them. And when I say that, I am like referring to Seymour too. Like he was a great character to watch, but God, the book is just so, it, it's just so real to me and just resonates so well. Um, and just really, I connect to it with, you know, when I was around that same age, you know, exiting high school, 18 years old, like summer gap year or two after college, after college, after high school, pre-college, where you're just really trying to figure out what's next. Yeah. And with the graduation of high school comes the, you know, some certain friendships dissolving because you were really just friends due to circumstance, but mm-hmm. you were really great friends. So it's like, were we <laughs> friends due to circumstance or did we have something? But now we're drifting apart and I think we're different people. So maybe it wasn't something. And and that in and of itself is an identity crisis similar to the very typical teenage identity crisis of, am I having a punk day or am I dressing (laughs) like a 1930s tennis player today? Like Enid (laughs) has um, those debates with herself in the film and the book. It's just so real. And he really, you know, Daniel Klaus also said that he wanted to depict himself basically has two teenage girls because traditionally teenage girls are also allowed much more room to really have very vocal public displays of of trying to navigate their own identity which i agree with um where yeah, and you know so much so of that, that too just comes from <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, and i was about to say so much of that too comes from again as a former teenage girl the identity crisis that comes from seeing very regular depictions of how women should be. And like men get that bullshit too, but like, yeah, as close and said, it, women are allowed to be much more public with their identity crises um, yeah. and their clicks and their uh, searches of self. Uh, whereas men usually are, are not given the same amount of grace. My very first time reading it as like a 16 year old. And, and it was just, that was where I was in my life. Mm-hmm. It immediately just connected with me. And and it continues to, uh, even if it's even if I'm reading it where I'm at a point in my life where I'm not in the exact same situation that Enid is in, uh, which is like a very similar one to where I once was, uh, I'm still able to look back and relate uh and and take to heart the themes of Yeah. Or the depiction of just a so intense friendship where you really become codependent in a sense of just like, this is who I am. It, I am part, this friendship is part of who I am, but that's not how it should be. And, and trying to grapple with that as a teenager when your friends are your life, basically, but then you got to go have a life of your own uh, where they're not as such a huge part of it. Uh, and, and, and it's just, it's like timeless uh, because I think that is kind of a, a not a struggle, but, trying to find time for maintaining your friendships is something that kind of like shape shifts as you age and as you get different responsibilities in your life. So I think it always holds up and 
yeah, I think it's genius and perfect and just hits and can hit and relate to more people uh, better than the film can. Beautifully said. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm definitely going to say that the uh, graphic novel was uh, worked so much better for me than the film. And like I said, I'm not going to say that the film is bad. It definitely is. It's very well made. It's has great performances and is uh, a very technically well-made movie. It just didn't do anything for me. I like the, the, the graphic novel just felt like it, it just like really scratched a niche on, uh, like I said, I'm a huge coming of age genre fan and realizing like how expressive and how natural these characters were was just so fun to just kind of, to kind of encase myself in for like the time that I was reading it. And it was so fast. I wanted more. I was like, Oh, this could be so much longer. And I was so into it and I loved it. And, and again, it is a great example of how expressive and how emotional the graphic novel medium can be and how it doesn't just have to be fighting and punching and, you know, and (laughs) suits and capes and all that. It can be just, Oh, there's a pair of pants on the sidewalk. That's pretty crazy. You know, (laughs) you can still, still enjoy it. Um, and it was so, yeah. And friendship means always, always meant so much to me. And so to just figure like to be, um, privy to this kind of, uh, this relationship and this friendship specifically was so enjoyable and was, it was interesting how like, you know, aspects of my friendships were, um, were present in the story and other aspects felt new to me. So it was like a full discovery of like something that felt totally thought out and, uh, honest. Like it just felt so authentic. And, you know, I, uh, I really admire that. And also, I mean, just thank you for showing it to me. You are welcome. My My pleasure. (laughs) All right. See you guys later. Bye, everyone. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies Off the Shelf. You can follow us on Instagram at Frankly, I Love Movies and at Frankly underscore podcasts on Twitter. Our show is produced by Sullivan J. Harris with music by Kanan Harris and series artwork by Rihanna Henson. I'm Rihanna Henson. I'm Josh Wall. Frankly, I love books. And frankly, I love movies. Movies.